And we're coming to you live from our set here at uh, First Liberty Live. An appeals court is about to hear the case of the fire chief who was fired for attending a leadership conference that happened to be held at a church. You'll get to hear the arguments live as it happens. Stuart Shepard, and this is a special edition of First Liberty Live. In just a few minutes, the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals will hear the case of a fire chief who, as I just mentioned, was fired for attending a leadership conference because they didn't like where it was being held, and we're going to talk about that. My colleague and friend Jeff Mateer is our Executive Vice President and Chief Legal Officer here at First Liberty Institute. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Stuart. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to set the scene for you and explain what you're about to see as we as we share with you. It's kind of an online Zoom call as far as the court session. It's 2023. It's how we do things since 2020. But we're going to explain what you're going to see, who's going to be talking, so that as you watch it, you'll have a sense of the the environment that all this is happening in, so you can get the bigger picture of it. So Jeff, set the scene for us. Where is the court? Who are we going to be hearing from? Who are we going to be seeing? Well, it's the it's the Ninth Circuit which is based in San Francisco. So the rest of the country has kind of moved on from COVID. Some parts of our country haven't. <laughs> True. And so in, in an abundance of caution, this is an online argument. And so what, what you will see is at the top of the screen, you'll see three judges. Those are the three judges who are hearing this case. Normally I would have said those are the three Ninth Circuit judges. But in this case, we have two Ninth Circuit judges and they've appointed specially to hear this case another judge who's a district court judge from New York. So that's what that's what viewers will will see if it, you're you're watching. Is that a common thing to bring I mean, in? A it, it doesn't happen in every case, but it does happen. The workloads of the courts are such now that they don't have enough judges yeah. to hear all the arguments, and so they will occasionally ask a district court judge to sit by what's called by designation. In this case, it's it's a judge from New York, Judge Corman, who who had been a a, a judge in New York City. And he's now what's called senior status. So he's sort of semi-retired. Yeah. And part of his semi-retirement is he gets to hear a, a case from the Ninth Circuit today. And the other two? The other two are, are sitting Ninth Circuit ju judges. Um, on the left is, is Judge Akita. And she was actually appointed by President George W. Bush. Okay. And then in the center is Judge Gould, who is a Clinton appointee back in 1999. So you've got two, two Republican uh, appointed judges and one Democrat appointed judge. Now, if, if people who follow the courts even lightly, the Ninth Circuit has a reputation for being left-leaning. So we'll see how they do today. But I want to give people a move away from that and just talk about the fact that those three judges are selected randomly from a larger group that serves all of these courtrooms on the West Coast, right? Yeah, I believe that there are 27 judges who sit on the Ninth Circuit. And so you get a you get a random draw. And because they're short on this one, we get two Ninth Circuit judges and then we get a, a district court judge who's pointed by designation. And, and quite frankly, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, generally the Ninth Circuit are the 27 judges lean to the left. This is a pretty good draw for our case. Um, judge Akita is, is she's superb. And actually one of our colleagues here at First Liberty clerked for her huh. um, when he was in law school. And so we, we think very, very highly of her. Judge Gould is, is a Clinton uh, appointee and you can expect, you know, Clint, Clinton appointee could be a little hostile, but you know, the, the, they'll be respective of our lawyer. Yeah. We don't know much about this Reagan appointee judge, just that he's been on, he's been a judge a long time since 1985. Yeah. 
This is all about Ron Hiddle. We've got his picture here between us. Uh, give us a summary of that case. What happened and how did it end up in court? So, I mean, Ron, Ron Hiddle is, is, is one of those, 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 those guys is you're, you're a kid you aspire to be, right? We yeah. all wanted to be firemen. Well, that's what Ron wanted to be. And he served for 24 years and ultimately rising to be fire chief in the city of Stockton, California. And, you know, just a great guy, great, great guy. Um, and in every sense of the word, loyal and service oriented. Well, his supervisor at the city suggested that he and his leadership team attend some leadership training. A common thing if you're a manager. Of yeah, you want to, you know, you want you want to be, you know, iron sharpens iron. You want the best to, to train you. And so what Ron sought out was, well, you know, I'm going to seek out a, a, a training program. And what he learned of one is one called the Global Leadership Summit. Held by? Held by w w Willow Creek Church. Out of Chicago. Out of Chicago. And what they did, and I've actually attended. Actually, I have attended too. more than once. Yeah. It is premier leadership training. It, it's not... Christian leadership training. The thing, when I went to one, you may have had the same experience. It's it's not a bunch of Christian speakers who have a book that just came out. Yeah. I, the, the head of Starbucks was scheduled for the one I was at. A guy named Seth Godin, who's a, a top-level marketing guru, showed right. up at it. I mean, these are people out in the secular world that they bring in to share their ideas. I mean, and I'm sure our viewers are familiar. The, the book, Good to Great. I mean, yeah. it's, it's sort of in the, you know, the Harvard Business Review's number one business book in, 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 in the last 50 years by the author Jim Collins who's a practicing Buddhist. Um, that was, you know, one of the keynoters at, at this. Um, yeah. In addition, Daniel Pink, who probably are, some of our viewers are familiar with, another leadership uh, leadership guru, um, Tony Dungy. I think we all know Tony Dungy, the, the you know the Super Bowl winning coach. Yeah. T.D. Jakes, who is a pastor, but also a huge proponent of of of, of leadership. Jack Welch, the former uh, head of of GE. These are the type of people who who teach at this. Again, it's not a Christian leadership conference. It's a leadership conference. And that's what Chief Hiddle um, took his folks to, and get this, at his own expense. So the city wasn't out a dime wow. but at, at his own expense. And huh. simply because the leadership conference was held at a church, the, the, the powers to be at the city of Stockton said that it was impermissible. Now, I'm not an attorney, okay? But to me... You're I, almost. <laughs> I mean, I mean you, you've learned so much the last few years. I think you could sit for the bar exam. I know more Latin now than I knew when I was in high school taking it in a class, but that's another story. <laughs> um, it, it occurs to me, I know churches that meet in schools on the weekend, okay? But it's not a school when they're meeting there. It's a church, but it's a school building. Well, if you have a leadership conference that happens to be held in a church building, it's just a building. It's not a church, right? It's just a leadership it's, conference it's just, in a building. It's just a, a building. And what's the key in this case is that the, the city is specifically saying you attended a religious event and therefore we're firing you. And the fact that it's held in a church doesn't necessarily make it a religious event. Now, it could have been a religious event had it been Sunday morning worship or Bible yeah. study, but that's not what this is. The church opened up its facility to have a leadership event. The, the, the chief went, almost said coach, because I'm so used <laughs> to Coach Kennedy. Yeah. Um, the, chief, the chief went to that, not because it was at a church, but because it was where this premier leadership um, summit was taking place. And the city sees it and they hear the word church and they say, well, you can't go to that 
because it's religious, which then triggers his protections because under federal law, under Title VII, one of the classifications, you can't discriminate. You can't discriminate based on race. Yeah. You can't discriminate based on sex. And that's can't. civil rights law, right? Civil, yeah, it's, 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 it's civil rights law passed in 1964. Yeah. Pl- applies to all employers with more than 15 employees, which it clearly the city of, of Stockton has. Yeah. And they admit... In their termination, we fired you because you went to this religious event. Worth pointing out, he chose to go. The people who went with him chose to come. Chose to go. They're all adults. No one was forced. He paid for it. Yep. I cannot figure out for the life of me, as a non-attorney, what the problem is here. So let's talk about the arguments that are going to be made today. What's yeah. the key argument that our side will be making? Who's going to be making it as well? And what are we going to hear from the other side? Well, one of our net- network attorneys from Baker Botts, Elizabeth Butler, will be arguing for us. She'll be sitting beside her. Viewers might find it interesting. I don't know if it'll be on camera or not. Usually the person next to you isn't, but it'll be Aaron Street, and he's going to be arguing the Groff case, uh, yeah, which which will be at the Supreme Court in just a few weeks. Yeah. So it, it, he, Elizabeth works with, with Aaron. Elizabeth will be arguing, and what she'll argue is basically what I just said, and sort of the common sense argument is you fired him because he went to a religious event. You admitted you fired him for going to a religious event. That's a textbook violation of Title VII, which says you cannot discriminate against someone because of their religious beliefs or practices. Among other things. Among other things. Yeah. And, and so it's a, it, it'll be a pretty simple argument. Now, with the other side, what the city's lawyers is, is going to argue is, well, no, no, he was fired for other reasons. The problem is... They admitted it. They admitted it. Yeah. And, and it doesn't need to be the only reason. If you fire someone and it's part of the reasoning, then you violate the law. And, and my understanding is in employment cases, it's common that someone will get fired for a reason. But then if it ends up in court, suddenly there are all kinds of reasons uh, that show up at the last minute. But the court is taught to ignore that, right? Right. And you focus it on the reason. And again, the, the, the words speak louder. The words at the time speak louder than arguments today. The words at the time is we fired you for going to this religious event. And it's not just words. It's words written down. Yeah. I want to mention this is just the coolness of, of the day that we're having here at First Liberty Institute. You'll see that they're in a room that may look a little familiar to you. They're actually in a studio just down the hall from Yeah, I mean, we could almost throw and hit them. With, if I had a baseball, I could <laughs> throw it over kind of throw it through some offices. 25 but. feet that way and right, and they're in our uplink studio. I had studio. a pretty good curveball, although <laughs> I, I think, think that would be a screwball. That would be all the way around. Yeah, but, you'd probably get no, but, 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 yeah, they're very close. Which tossed is, out of the game. We, 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 which is, you know, that's we're, that we're very, um, we're very privileged and, and, and because of our supporters that we can have a facility where we can have, you know, have an oral argument. I mean, and, or we can, you know, in some cases we can be on Fox News and yeah. be right here um, in, in our office. It gives us plenty of opportunities to take the stories about our cases to people out there, whether it's on Fox News. Uh, we've done CNN from in there. We've done local stations all over the country in there. It's really helpful and actually gets our message out to a lot more people because it's so convenient for us to just step in there and send it, send yeah, it out. And it lets us do more and, and, and do it more often. This goes really quick. Uh, when you watch a TV argument, I mean, you know, they really cut it down. But in real life, this is still really quick. Tell us what each side yeah, will get to. Yeah, do. They, and, and this is and this is shorter than than a lot. I mean, when people watch the Supreme Court argument, they'll will have more time. But this is 15 minutes per side. What I anticipate is what Elizabeth will go first, because we actually, believe it or not, as simple as this case is, we lost at the district court. 
on on what's called a motion for summary judgment, which is a we didn't have a trial, yeah. just based on the papers the judge ruled against us. Um, and so we go first. Elizabeth will reserve some of her time at the end, so she'll probably go 10 to 12 minutes. Uh, and then reserve the, the remainder of our time. Then the city's lawyer will go for 15 minutes, and then whatever time Elizabeth has left, she will go. Now, that's how it's gone. supposed to go. <laughs> but sometimes, as we know, you know, in the Supreme Court especially, you know, ju judges control it, so they can ask questions as, as long as they would like. And, but usually, it'll go 15 plus 15, so 30 minutes. And, and part of what we're doing here today, the the court is hearing multiple cases, so yes. we've got our team watching the screen uh, just out of out of behind the camera view here. Uh, there's another case that's being heard right now. And they're arguing that as we go. So we're waiting for them to wrap that one up. They started about five minutes late on that one as far as the argument. So if they go the full half hour, that would put us up at, I don't know, 1235 Central. Yeah, probably five so minutes. That's, that's the timeline that we're on. That's if they go 15 minutes each side. They may go a little longer. So we will, uh, we will pick it up as soon as they switch out the attorneys and are ready to hear our case when it's there at the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco. Uh, they've already read a, a stack of legal briefs before they get to the courtroom. They're there's a lot that goes into a day like this, and that's why it's only 15 yeah. minutes per side. They've already pretty much thought about this a lot. Yeah, I, I you know, most people who who are experts in, in, in this area of the law, uh, well, in, 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 in appellate arguments, say that the judges probably have already decided where they are. They're probably 90% sure where they are. Yeah. They have, first off, they themselves may have some questions. And the other thing that they might be doing is, let's say you have one judge who's strongly for us. He or she may be trying to convince one of her colleagues to join her, if, if, if it's she. Yeah. Um, and some of the questions could be directed towards trying to have that colleague um, join. Now, we especially see that at the Supreme Court. Right. When they're sort of, you know, the, the, the person arguing is sort of almost just there, but it's really the justices talking to each other. Yeah. That can happen at the appellate court. I mean, here it's only three judges, not nine, but you can have one judge asking a question, which really the judge is asking that question to make a point. To, to, to one of her colleagues. Do they talk about the case before this day? No, this is, they, they have not talked about the case beforehand. So what has happened is the briefs have been filed, that, that there's been, we filed a brief as appellant, the person appealing the decision. Yeah. Then the city has responded as an appellate. Then we filed what's called a reply brief. So you've got those three briefs. And then the, the, each of the judges has law clerks who've probably done a memo outlining the key arguments for the judges, perhaps suggesting some questions. And so all that's going on before they, they actually sit down and argue today. And we're not going to get a decision today. I, mean, I want to set expectations no. here. It's usually months before. No, and you know sometimes you can you, you can read some tea leaves into it based upon the questions, but you mm. know you got to be careful about that because um, judges don't always show everything that they're thinking. And sometimes they're trying to ferret out a particular point in the law for their colleague down the bench. Yeah, I mean one of the hardest things, you know, having done some, I've never argued the Supreme Court, but I've argued at the appellate courts is, you know, when you get a friendly question. 
You know, you've got to think where where are they going with this questions? A lot of times it's easier to have hostile questions because you're prepared <laughs> to respond to that. So as Elizabeth argues today, you know, you the viewer can be thinking, well, is that a friendly question or is that an un unfavorable question? Is it hostile? And and sort of aware because that's what we're doing. I mean, we're kind of we'll watch and try to see where the judge is, what they're asking, and then try to determine whether you know is that indicating their force or with us. But you're right. I mean, we would expect a decision. It's months away. Hey, give, give us a sense of the preparation that goes into this as far as how many people are working around the person who'll be speaking for our side and how many hours of work going to prepping for this argument. Yeah, I mean, it's hours and hours. And so you've got the team at Baker Botts, our network attorneys who are supporting Elizabeth. So who are top-notch attorneys. I mean, the, 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 the best good attorneys in, yeah, it's the best attorneys in the country. It's, it's, it's a premier law firm. And if you owned a business, you know, who is threatened, you would hire um, at a very uh, high rate. At, yes, you, I mean, you, you, yeah, at a very high rate. I mean, um, hundreds of dollars an hour to hire the best because they deserve the best. And of course, Chief deserves the best. And these guys do it for free. They for us. are Latin <laughs> word that you know. What's the Latin word that we know? I don't know. Pro bono. Pro bono, you know yes. Pro bono. Oh, I do know that you one. Know yeah. I always think it's that, sunny bono, but no, whatever. No, no, pro bono, which means for free, <laughs> yeah. um, that, that they're handling it. And so the team for Baker Botts is working. And then the team here at First Liberty supporting them. And so part of that is the briefing that we talked about, preparing those, 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 those written briefs. And I should also mention on this case is our good friend that, that I know you had on First Liberty Live recently, Here's Alan Reinar, is our co-counsel on this case as well and who brought it to us um, to help on on appeal so we got to you know obviously give a good shout out to, to Alan for doing that so Alan's been working on this through the trial court he has hundreds and hundreds of hours and then the First Liberty team has come on board and, and also put hundreds of hours into it first in briefing and then what we do is something called moots you know that word? Yeah, it's it, practice. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's set them up and grill them. Exactly, <laughs> and and it's and Elizabeth has done that. Kelly Shackelford, our fearless leader, participated in the moots, getting Elizabeth um, ready. As did David Hacker. I think you're going to have it after. And the explain argument. that basically, the attorney stands before three people pretending to be the we, just, we judges. We pretend to be the yeah yes. So what we do is get the 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 the, the lawyer ready by pretending be be the judges, and and we always want the practice to be, to be harder, harder than the game yeah that and anybody who's played sports can understand the more you put into practice the better you have in game results and if you have a harder practice than a game then, then things are well and i know kelly uh, and david hacker put elizabeth through the ringer and so hopefully elizabeth will be able to say at the end that that moot with Kelly was harder than than the argument at the Ninth Circuit. You mentioned uh, Alan Reinock. We just had him on with Randy Wanger. With uh, he's with the law firm law group that's affiliated with the Pennsylvania Family Institute that we, we've long had an association with. Yes. Organizationally over many years, um, they were just on a week ago talking about the case we'll have at the Supreme Court next month. Um, right. So if you want to watch that, we invite you to tune in for that. I also should mention we had Ron Hiddle on as a guest. Uh, Peyton interviewed him. Um, just a, a few weeks ago. So if you look on FirstLibertyLive.com, you can hear his story from his perspective, what he lived through when he went through that and get an idea of what it was. Yeah. We have so many, we have a lot of good guests on here over the, over this length of time. No, very, very much. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, uh, is this a case that might go to the Supreme Court? Uh, people are probably wondering that, so I'm going to pose the question. I know we, we can't know, but. You know, it's, it, 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 it's possible. 
It's possible. Um, uh, certainly, if the Ninth Circuit gets it wrong, um, we will seek review. Okay. And it is a pretty outrageous case. So it does it does reach that. But as you know, uh, the the Supreme Court only takes what was it sixty seven or something last year. It's in the high six out of out of nine out of eight thousand. Yeah. So it's just it's very rare to get. Which which then makes you know last year with us having two Supreme Court cases. It's God's it's favor. Just, it, it's just incredible. It's yeah. just it's just incredible. And then this year to have a Supreme Court case following two. I mean to next year get another one. You know, we've got the Navy SEALs case, which, you know, that's always a possibility. Yeah. Um, this case is a possibility, but it's it's so hard to predict, you know, w- w- whether a case is going to be a Supreme Court case. One way that it wouldn't be a Supreme Court case is if the Ninth Circuit gets it right and we win at the Ninth Circuit, because then, then it becomes very, very less likely. Because they would likely not appeal on that. Well, or if they did, then the Supreme Court wouldn't be interested in it. Okay. Um, you know, usually the Supreme Court doesn't, a case in favor of religious liberty, it would be very unusual for the Supreme Court to take and, and reverse. With, with the idea being that the, if, they, if the decision below is one that the is Supreme right. Court likes, if, yeah. if the one they would affirm, well, they're not going to pick they're it up and take. say, yeah, that really was right. If you only do 65 cases or 70 cases a year, why would you take a case that you're saying the court got it right? Yeah. Now, the good is the Ninth Circuit rarely gets it right. <laughs> and so, but this is a good panel. So, you know, hopefully this, this panel will get it right. We're in the window of time when they might be starting any second yeah. here, but I just want to give people a sense of the week that we're having. It sure. is an incredibly busy week at First Liberty Institute. Give us a sense of some of the other other cases that we're working on as a team here? Right. I'm, I'm, I, one of my colleagues may throw something at me, and they're telling us two minutes. So I'm just very, very quickly. So we're, okay. we will be filing this week two really important cases. Um, one following up on, on, on one of our Supreme Court victories last year, and another one being a case and I've got a lawyer who's telling me like this, Stuart. So <laughs> I, I don't want to break things to our viewers. But keep an eye. Um, we'll a, be letting you know through our channel. Very channels. important case, um, which is really one of the first in the nation, not one of it, it in one respect. It is the first in the nation to, to help on the pro-life issue. So yeah. we're very, very excited uh, about actually both of those cases, one being um, representing Christian schools, the other being pro-life. Yeah, and I, and I think I can say that no one has thrown anything at me yet. <laughs> you are the boss of most of the people that want to throw boss. something at you. I am their boss, but you know. <laughs> that, but uh, on top of that, there's even more. I mean, well, yeah, give I us mean, a just, sense just of, I mean, we've got. I mean, we're 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 filing a comment with the Department of Education opposing the Biden administration repealing a very very important rule that impacts. Uh, college student organizations. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, mediation in the Chabad of the Beaches case. I know uh, you've talked about that case before, yeah. which is an important case protecting a Jewish synagogue in, in New York. I mean, just one of 600 um, legal matters that, 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 that we're working on. So, yeah, and then, you know, with, with our lawyers traveling everywhere, Mike Berry's in, in, in D.C. and in doing, doing training, our team's working on Capitol Hill today. We've got the Navy SEALs case, you know, is is continuing that we mediated last week. And, yeah. and we're trying to, to work on, on that case. And we were just at the Fifth Circuit.
circuit with that one not that many weeks ago. Nope, we were at the at the Fifth Circuit on that. You know, the team's getting ready for the Groff case, as we talked about moots. So they're getting this. The team is getting ready for for the argument on that case. I mean, there's just there, there, there's a lot going on. It's a fun time to be it, here, and I'm very proud of your time. team for the work that you do. Well, I know that the attorneys put in. More hours than I think most people realize. I was talking with a couple of them who were up reading through briefs until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, prepping for uh, one of the cases. Yeah, we've got, there were a couple of people who did, we, you know, we always talk, we don't like to see all-nighters all the time, but, you know, sometimes the work requires it. Yeah, and the, they work hard, and we're very proud of them and the work that they do. All your team is yeah. phenomenal. Um, so it looks like they're about to switch over with the attorneys there at the Ninth Circuit. Jeff Mateer, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Now we're going to let you listen in to the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Again, it's kind of like a Zoom call as they hear the case of Ron Hiddle. He said that Montez said in her affidavit, very specifically directed that he find a program intended for fire chiefs, or at least for upper management of public entities. My hope was that he would improve the leadership skills that are specific to public sector management. And she suggested places where he might look. And then she goes on to say, Chief Hiddle did not contact me, check with me, or obtain approval before he unilaterally attend, decided to attend the Willow Creek Summit. If he had checked with me, I would have never approved him to attend that program on city time. And not only that, he apparently took, I guess, three others with him and and uh, they were they were paid for their attendance and they they uh, uh, and they and they went at city expense. Uh, yes, Your Honor, a few responses to that. So there's no city policy that requires Chief Hiddle to check with Montez before he goes to leadership training, but Chief Hiddle testified that Montez never specified that he needed to obtain public leadership, public sector leadership training or fire department specific leadership training. So there, there is a factual dispute on that issue, but I would submit that even that factual dispute is not material because there is evidence in the record that the leadership training did meet these specifications that Montez claims that she gave Chief Hiddle. So the leadership summit included a, a specific speaker, Daniel Pink, who is also a speaker at the International City County Managers Association, which is one of the entities that Montez claims she told Chief Hiddle would have been appropriate leadership training. But I would also say, moreover, the city did not ever look into the type of leadership training that the summit provided. So for it to now say that it terminated Chief Hiddle because he didn't attend the specific kind of leadership training that they wanted to attend, it that just has no support in the record at all. Um, so, what, about, what about the others that that he took and and approved payment for their work as a workday in effect and at city expense? Uh, yes, others did accompany Chief Hiddle. So the others who came all held some type of management position in the fire department. So Chief Hiddle brought them along so they could also learn from this leadership event. So that, 
that was his decision. No one that, told him. Uh, that was his decision, but as fire chief, he didn't have to obtain approval from anybody else to bring the other managers. And I don't believe the city has ever raised the issue that Chief Hiddle wasn't allowed to obtain leadership training for other managers within the fire department. The city's issue with the training has always been the religious perspective. Uh, so the city's documents, which all refer to the religious nature of the leadership event, along with discriminatory comments made by the city's decision makers, provide conclusive evidence that religious discrimination was at least a motivating factor in Chief Hiddle's termination. But at minimum, what if they had what if they had said in effect, you know, he took he went to a baseball game on city time and city expense, and he took three of three others with him. Right. Well, uh, that would not that, be. Would that have been a, a ground to this to 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 uh, discipline him and 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 take action against him? Uh, I would say yes. I don't see what benefit the city could have obtained from Chief Hiddle taking his uh, other managers to a baseball game, but that doesn't implicate Title Seven. No, Title. I know it doesn't implicate Title Seven, but you know the description of it as a religious event, as religious. Uh, it doesn't strike me as being the critical factor. What they were, what they were, assuming it was religious. Um, it doesn't seem to me to be the critical concern of the city was that he went to a program which the city did not think met its requirement when they told him to go and and uh, that was the basis and, and that he took other people with him at his uh, expense. Your Honor, I, I would push back on that characterization. I think if you look into the Largent report, so the city's investigation report, which city manager Dice said he fired Chief Hiddle based on the findings of the Largent report. And the only thing that the Largent report looks into with respect to the Global Leadership Summit is whether or not the summit was religious. And that is reflective of the city's religious discrimination. So I, that is pretty conclusive proof, in my opinion, that the only thing that the city cared about was the religious character of the summit. In addition to the, these documents, the city, uh, city decision makers also made discriminatory comments against Chief Hiddle. So Deputy City Manager Montez accused Chief Hiddle of being part of a Christian coalition. This is something she said in a very pejorative tone, and she said it in connection with him obtaining leadership training. It was immediately after that the city had discovered that he had obtained leadership training that had this religious perspective. And so opposing, excuse me, opposing counsel argues that Montes got this term from an anonymous letter. Does that make a difference? No, Your Honor, it doesn't. Because even if some other person was the origin of this of the Christian coalition term, Montez adopted this discriminatory term and she used it against Chief Hiddle. So she can't shield herself from her own discriminatory comment by claiming that the comment came from somebody else. Um, additionally, both Montez and Dice used the term church click 
in connection with the leadership training and Chief Hiddle's position with the other Christians in the department. And this is also reflective of their animus. Click is a term that is never used in a positive way. And if, if the panel has any kind of trouble thinking about this, I ask you to sub substitute in another pr protected characteristic. So say a black employee was accused of being part of a black clique and attending black leadership training and was terminated for that. That is pretty obvious discrimination. And I submit that this is the exact same case. Uh, Can I ask one, one particular question? He was, they gave him an opportunity to provide an explanation which he attended, I believe, with his attorney. And he didn't provide, they, they basically, he, he, he refused to provide any kind of an explanation. And he said he was just, this was a denial of due process, which is, which is curious since he was an at-will employee, but they were giving him an opportunity to answer. And he didn't. So Chief Hiddle offered explanations to Inspector Largent throughout the investigation, but I believe what you're referring to is the hearing, basically once the city had already made the termination decision. And Chief Hiddle didn't have the opportunity to call any witnesses or provide any kind of evidence at that hearing. So his counsel at the time made the decision not to argue further with the city at that particular hearing, but Chief Hiddle certainly all throughout the investigation process did, you know, provide numerous explanations for why he chose the Global Leadership Summit as his, as the leadership event um, and the, the benefits that that event provided. Um, if the panel doesn't have any further questions, I will reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal. Okay. I have none. I don't hear any other questions, so I think you can pause and prepare for your rebuttal. Mr. Wilson. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Spencer Wilson on uh, behalf of the Appellee uh, City of Stockton. Um, I do want to address a few of the points that Ms. Butler made, but first I would like to focus on the real reason um, that the city terminated Hiddle's at-will employment, and that is that he engaged in rampant mismanagement of the fire department marked by improper favoritism and failure to maintain order and discipline. This drew criticism from at least two city managers, the city council, members of the fire department, concerned citizens, and members of the media. And this was documented in an exhaustive investigative report. The report and exhibits span nearly 2,000 pages. Hiddle concedes or fails to meaningfully dispute most of the material facts related to his misconduct. He concedes that he co-owned a vacation home with three subordinates, including the union president, and he never formally discloses to the city. This resulted in actual and perceived conflicts of interest. For example, as Hiddle conceded, one of his co-owners, Dwayne, engaged in conduct constituting time card fraud, but Hiddle defended uh, here Because um, notwithstanding the, um, the evidence of other problems um, with Mr. Hiddle, um, our um, case law and the statute itself says we, we only have to consider whether religion was a motivating factor and so when we look at the large report, there, there seems to be 
a significant focus on the characteristics of the large focus of the report. So what's the basis for saying that's not a motivating factor? So I think it's fair to say that one of the many examples of his favoritism and his mismanagement of the department was his attendance at the religious leadership conference. But that was in a long line of mismanagement and a long line of favoritism. And I believe that Judge Corman was absolutely correct that the religious nature of it wasn't the reason of the concern. And I think that the reason that the investigator questioned him about the religious nature of the event is because Hiddle tried to downplay it. He said, I wasn't going for any sort of religious reason. I was going because my supervisor, Lori Montes, directed me to attend leadership training. And so she was trying to figure out Okay, what what was the purpose of this? Were you going to get leadership training, or were you trying to go and engage in a religious practice? And you know that was the reason why she had had the inquiry about the the religious aspects. So was the reason that the attending the conference that the thrust of the larger report and the comments made seemed to be the reason that this conference was inappropriate and shouldn't have attended it was because of the religious characteristics. Do you disagree? Well, first of all, I'm sorry, you cut out there for a moment, Judge Ikuda. I said, if you disagree, how do we say that they weren't focused on a protected characteristic? So what they were concerned about was Hiddle disregarding his supervisor's direction to get leadership training specific to fire departments or public sector management. And I would like to point out, contrary to appellant's assertion, that is not an argument that only appears in Monda's declaration. She also, both she and Hiddle corroborated that in their deposition testimony. So at deposition, Montez reported directing Hiddle to obtain public sector leadership training and testified to frequently speaking with Hiddle about the types of training he should obtain. She provided him examples, several examples, and then he then went to a training completely out of character from those examples. Was there something wrong with the training other than its religious nature? Because there's nothing in the larger report saying it wasn't for fire chiefs. It seemed like the main thing that was wrong with the training was that it was it had a religious theme or that it was at a church. There were statements about that. Well, she specifically asked him what benefit 
did it provide the city? And even at the conclusion of her interview, she said, I'm gonna give you another chance. Please provide me in writing documentation of, of what specific training you got that benefits the city. And so he, so he did provide, explain why these speakers were so excellent about training, et cetera. Uh, well, so what was wrong with that other than the religious characteristic? It wasn't the religious characteristic of it. It wasn't that it wasn't, it wasn't public sector management or fire specific. And let me explain why that's significant here. Hiddle had a long history of mismanaging his department. He didn't understand how things work. As we pointed out, he tried to defend his subordinates time card fraud um, by because he thought that it benefited the city and he was wrong. And there's all sorts of public sector management and fire department specific trainings out there that talk about things specific to a fire department. How do you operate a 7K work period? How does 4850 workers compensation leave? How do you conduct a workplace investigation under the Firefighters Procedural Bill of Rights Act? No. So, so why did the Largent report say that? I mean, the Largent, it, it just was odd to me that the Largent report didn't say there are many types of, of trainings that are available for fire chiefs that, or upper management, and he didn't choose that. Instead, the Largent report was focused on whether the conference was religious or not. Why didn't report focus on what you're saying now or, or did, did I miss that? So I, I really can't speak to why Miss um, Largent didn't focus on that, but I will just point out that Miss Largent, um, she was a third party investigator. She reached her conclusions and then the city based their decision on what to do with uh, Miss, uh, Mr. Hill's employment. Uh, based on the findings of of her, so I I, I don't know why she um, didn't include certain things about the uh, remarks that opposing counsel raises about Christian coalition and church click. What do we do with those? So, both Mr. Hill and Miss Montez agree that. The, the term Christian coalition did not originate from Ms. Montez. The, it came from an outside dispute from a third party. And the concern was that Hiddle was uh, providing favoritism to certain people in the department. And in that particular instance, it was people of his same faith. And there's a long line of complaints going back to 2008 about Hiddle engaging in favoritism um, on a number of factors, union membership, co-ownership of, of his home. And as Montez understood that complaint, it was a complaint about improper favoritism. And so she needed to ask him about that because you can't favor people um, based on a protected category. And she she understood the complaint to be that Hiddle was a member of a clique, a, a, an exclusive group, and he was providing preferential treatment to the members of the clique. And you can't do that. Um, we, we cite to several cases in our brief where, where such conduct actually violates Title VII. Um, so it, it was not only appropriate for Montez to, to question him um, about these accusations of favoritism, but she had to do that. That that was the, the responsible thing for her to do. 
Um, so, you, you know, um, your, your honors, uh, you know, one other point um, that they raised regarding the, the Skelly meeting, um, you know, the, they, they keep saying that Hiddle wasn't given an opportunity to, to uh, present his case, wasn't able to call witnesses. He had no right to, even if he wasn't an at-will employee, um, there's no reason for doing that. And, and, and it's a very um, um, good observation of, of Judge Corman that um, he had an opportunity to raise concerns um, at this hearing and nothing was raised. Um, there, there, were, there were no accusations regarding religious discrimination. Um, you know, the, you know, the Skelly hearing, the purpose of that is for someone to say, hey, you, you got something wrong here. This is what you need to understand. Um, and, he, and he didn't do that. Um, so, you know, based on the long history of of misconduct which we've outlined um in in our his co-ownership of his vacation home his preferential treatment of members of his vacation home um um the fact that he um improperly pressured an employee to take down a political sign from his own personal lawn because it supported a position that wasn't backed by the union. Um, you know, the fact that uh, he, under his watch, firefighters engaged in campaign activity antithetical to city interests while driving a fire truck resembling city of Stockton fire trucks and wearing uniforms resembling official city uniforms. Um, you know, the, the list goes on. I know, I know we cover all these in our brief, so I, I'm not going to go over them all again. Um, but his attendance at this event was in a long line of him exercising poor judgment, using city funds in ways that were criticized by the public and, um, and providing favoritism um, on... Um, to employees on reasons other than merit. And that just simply isn't appropriate. And given the voluminous record of non-discriminatory reasons for disciplining him, there's simply no way a reasonable jury could find pretext from these facts. And we believe the district court's decision should be upheld, but I'm, I'm happy to answer any other questions. Well, I have no question, but Judge Corman, Judge Aikuda. All right, I don't. Looks like uh, you've completed your argument. No further questions. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Wilson. Ms. Butler, you have some rebuttal time. Thank you, Your Honor. I'd like to briefly begin with the idea of pretext. So I think Judge Aikuda was exactly correct that Chief Hiddle does not need to disprove all of the city's various other reasons to establish pretext on either a motivating factor or a but-for theory of causation. And I would point the court to um, the Supreme Court's decision in Bostock if there is any doubt on that point. Bostock has explicitly said that even under but-for causation, other reasons do not need to be disproved. Um, and specifically- can I, can I ask you one particular question to go back to this leadership event? The, the Largent report says 
that on October 5th and 6th, you use city time and resources to attend a religious leadership event. Yeah. That is, that is his determination that it was a religious leadership event. Is that, is that some sort of a neutral finding? And if that's true, is that the end of it? In other words, he is telling the city and he is characterizing it as a religious leadership event. By he, do you mean the investigator? Pardon me? So I'm just, who is the he, the investigator? Largent. Okay, yes. Um, so Largent viewed the event as a religious leadership event, but that's that's not a neutral finding. The important fact is that the religion was the only aspect of the training that Largent focused on. So the the religious aspect shouldn't make the leadership training per se inappropriate. And in fact, her determination that it did violates Title Seven. Uh, and I think it's important is to it, look. Is it, is it factually inaccurate? It's. It's not factually inaccurate to characterize the leadership training as including a religious perspective. Uh, if she's trying to characterize the event as a religious leadership event because she means it only provides training for the clergy, that would be inaccurate. It's somewhat of an unclear term, but it's clear that the, the religious nature of the leadership event was the problem. And so I just like to maybe back up a little bit and just say this decision was motivated by Chief Hiddle's religious beliefs. The city knew that Chief Hiddle was a Christian. They told him that he should not be part of a Christian coalition. But it, was it the city's or did they accept Largent's finding? Well, so... They hired, after all, they did go out and hire a a uh, a third party to the city investigation yes. and he made this finding yes the city accepted Largent's findings but i will say the city was the one who brought up the religious nature of the leadership event first so the city issued chief hiddle the notice of investigation and the notice of investigation specifically investigates Chief Hiddle for attending a religious leadership event on city time. So Largent did not originate this issue with the religious event. That was the city and the city told Largent to enter, to investigate him for that reason. The city accepted Largent's findings and then in the removal notice, which is by the city, the city says that Chief Hiddle was fired for attending a religious event on city time. And I would also say to, in response uh, to the allegation that, well, this is all based on favoritism, the removal notice has two different causes for removal that are related to the religious leadership event. And the first is solely Chief Hiddle's attendance at the religious leadership event. That has nothing to do with favoritism. Um, finally- I have one more, I have one more question. Uh, it, it sort of picks up on uh, questions that Judge Kuda asked. Suppose there were six grounds, I'm, I'm just picking that number out of the air, I didn't do an actual count, for, for the, that would provide a, a, a neutral basis for his termination. Does the city lose automatically or does it simply shift the burden to the city 
to show that they would have done the same thing anyway, even if this religious aspect was out of the case. Um, Judge Gould, I see my time has expired. May I answer the question? It's up to Judge Gould. Yes, please do. Okay, so on these facts, that would be the case. So it doesn't, the other, uh, the, the other reasons for Chief Hiddle's termination aren't relevant. They can't discount the improper religious motivation. So that won't necessarily be true in every case, but because here Chief Hiddle has proven his case with affirmative evidence of discrimination using the city's own documents and the city's own comments, the city cannot avoid summary or the city cannot get summary judgment based on those factors. Well, um, I'm not thinking about summary judgment right now. Suppose the city could prove, let's say at a trial, that they would have done this anyway. And there are some pretty, pretty uh, uh, peculiar things that your client was found to have done. And that would, in my view, constitute grounds to terminate him. But and as I understand it, where there are arguably dual motives for the for for a um, for a particular improper allegedly improper conduct, the city could still prevail if it showed that it would have done the same thing anyway. So, Your Honor, it, if had, it has the the only thing that changes is that it has the burden of proof that it would have done it anyway. Do you so agree with that? That is, that's almost correct, but under a motivating factor to establish liability under Title VII, all Chief Hiddle has to do is prove that his terminated, that his religion was a motivating factor in his termination. And under a motivating factor theory, the city would then have an affirmative defense that it would have terminated Chief Hiddle anyway. And that affirmative defense goes only to remedies. So that would prevent the city prevent Chief Hiddle from recovering damages for his termination. But for liability on motivating factor, that is irrelevant. And Chief Hiddle would still be able to get injunctive declaratory relief and attorney's fees. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Ms. Belter. I think that covers our case. I'm gonna thank Ms. Butler and Mr. Wilson for their excellent advocacy. This case was well, well presented on both sides. We will now submit this case and go on to our last case for the day.